I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. On today's episode of Just Healthcare Daily, we hear from a primary care doctor in New York City, one of the places hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, with more than 33,000 confirmed cases as of Sunday. It's Monday, March 30th, and I'm Alex Olgan with Just Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines in health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find the show. A little less than half of the nation's doctors work in independent physician-owned practices. The pandemic has been tough for many of those practices, which are small businesses. Patient volumes dropped quickly as people rushed to stay home and move care virtual to prevent the spread of the virus. Dr. Bertie Bregman is a family medicine doctor in New York City. He co-owns Westside Family Medicine. The practice has three locations, eight doctors and nurse practitioners, and 20 support staff. Dr. Bregman spoke to just last week about how his practice is operating during the pandemic. Here is some of that conversation. Can I just first get a sense from you? What is it like uh, in New York? Normally, it's a very busy, crowded city, and now you're walking in the streets and you get on the bus. I mean, for me, I'm getting on the bus still going to work. And, you know, yesterday, my bus, which is usually crowded, was completely empty. I was the only one there. You know, it's free to get on because they don't want anyone within six feet of the driver. So you can't even get on in the front of the bus. And, you know, there's still people walking around on a nice day. It's very hard to keep New Yorkers inside. But everything is just, you know, the stores are all closed and everything is just kind of eerily quiet. You're still going into the office. Are you still seeing patients in person? Yeah, so I'm still seeing patients in person, also doing a lot of telemedicine. Uh, what our, our goal is to try and do everything we can remotely so the patients don't have to leave their houses and come into the office and expose other people to whatever they have or be exposed themselves. Um, but we still feel that we have a critically important role to play because um, it's really our job, as I see it, to uh, try and treat patients and keep them out of the emergency room as best we can. Now, if you know you have mild to moderate symptoms, you can be treated mostly at home, but that still leaves patients who have shortness of breath or deteriorating symptoms. And you know, to send all those patients to straight to the ER without seeing them means that you're going to be sending a lot of patients to the ER that don't necessarily need to be there. Um, and in fact, that's sort of borne out 
to be true based on um, our experience, because a lot of those patients who seem like they're getting worse, you know, you would send them to the ER, but instead we're saying, no, come in, let's take a listen to your lungs, let's check your pulse ox, let's see how you look. And the vast majority of them are, you know, able to be sent home with either, you know, slightly different kind of treatment or just even just reassured that they're doing fine, their lungs are clear. So I think we're keeping a lot of people out of an overburdened emergency room and hospital system by still seeing patients. And so so you've been treating some patients with confirmed cases or are they um, suspected or kind of a mix? It's a mix, but we're, we have a lot of confirmed cases. How does your care differ for patients with, um, you know, not super severe cases? I'm going to say mild or um, maybe a little bit more than mild than when you would treat flu patients. Is it relatively similar? It's exactly the same. I mean, you know, it matters if they start taking a turn for the worse to know what they have. Because if they have coronavirus, you might have a lower threshold, let's say, for getting imaging or sending them to the ER than if they had like, you know, an adenovirus or, you know, a benign coronavirus. But the treatment for these things are, it's all conservative therapy, really. It's just Tylenol and, you know, all the usual symptomatic treatment, mostly over the counter. Well, I'm really curious to see is what the ultimate case morbidity and mortality numbers turn out to be, because at least in our population, we've been diagnosing a lot of people with coronavirus, and most of them have been doing really fine, like just sort of a you know, bad respiratory infection that sort of resolves after a week or two. And so I'm curious to see, you know, what the numbers end up being, because there's a lot of, you know, contradictory and confusing information out there as to how deadly this virus actually is. Um, You know, you have all these stories about young people who end up in the ICU and intubated, and it does happen. But, um, you know, what the overall numbers are is still sort of a mystery. You mentioned that you're moving a lot of care that you used to provide in person to virtual visits. Have you been able to provide most of the same care virtually? We can do a lot of the care we normally provide. Yeah, we can do a lot of the medication refills, a lot of the, you know, acute illnesses, especially these kinds of kind of like acute respiratory illnesses that people are afraid might be coronavirus. We can sort of manage them as outpatients. We can do also sort of mental health um, assessments and, and management. There's like surprisingly little that you can't do between sort of talking and seeing the patient over, you know, remotely. The government said that for Medicare patients, it will reimburse at parity for telemedicine visits. I know you mentioned that you see mostly commercial patients, and some commercial insurers have said that they would reimburse at the same rate for telehealth visits as they would for in-person visits. I was wondering if that has been borne out in practice in your experience. That sort of remains to be seen. I think that they're saying they will, but we, we've started submitting claims, but it's too early to say for sure. They do seem to be reimbursing, hopefully, at the very least. But whether or not the patients are still re- responsible for copays, I don't know. They seem to be still responsible for deductibles. That doesn't get paid for with telemedicine visits. So, you know, you end up having to charge patients for that. Um, so I think, like, the details are not clear yet. It sounds like you've moved a good portion of your care to virtual visits. Do you think that will be something that sticks after the pandemic? There's no going back in terms of the telemedicine. I mean, this is like telemedicine has been around for a while. And, you know, we were doing a little bit here and there, but 
um, you know, it wasn't very well reimbursed, if at all, that sort of was inhibiting people. And now it's just been like an explosion of telemedicine. And it remains to be seen sort of what impact that has in the medical system as a whole, because there are limitations of telemedicine, too. But I think that would be the biggest change. And so how has it been volume-wise, both virtual and person, person these past couple of weeks? In person, it's way, way down, way, way down. I mean, we're seeing just, you know, a fraction of what we were seeing before in person. But volume-wise, um, it was very busy at first, and now it's quieted down some. Since volume is down, how are you adjusting your staff? Are all your providers and support staff still working? We have three offices, and right now, you know, we really have, like, the volume for one. So we're probably going to have to either rotate them or just close a couple of them for now. So that has big implications in terms of staff. They get paid hourly and right. So it's, it's difficult for them. I mean, I don't know what it's, it's rough, you know, like, look, ultimately these practices, like our practice, we're small businesses, you know, we don't have like huge cash reserves to survive for months without revenue. It just doesn't work that way. So like all the restaurants that are going out of business and all the other small, you know, the retail places that have no revenue coming in, they're going out of business and who knows if they're going to come back. You know, so if anything, I mean, this could like, I think, you know, you're already seeing this overall trend away from private practice to sort of, you know, employed physician arrangements with hospital groups or sort of large practice networks or whatever it is. I mean, I, I can't imagine this would this situation is going to do anything but accelerate that trend is that uh something that you're thinking about or is it too early i mean we we would love to avoid it you know we would only do it if we had no choice you know we like to be independent we think we give better care that way and you know everybody that i know who sort of went with a large group as opposed to staying independent is you know regrets it or is not happy with it but um you know, they had to do it. So I think, you know, I mean, if we don't, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want to do it unless we had to. And we'll see if we have to. Hopefully we won't. There are many other primary care practices around the country that could be in that same boat, says Just Healthcare's Dr. Lisa Belomovich. She says unchecked, the current situation will quicken the pace of affiliation with larger networks or employment by payers or health systems. I think when we come out of this, even practices that are able to make it through financially will still be shell-shocked. They'll be looking for a port in the storm and access to resources. Next time around, they won't want to be hunting down their own PPE. Now, some will surely move to employment, but there's also an opportunity for large independent physician networks to provide that structure. Thanks for listening to Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olgan. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on JustHealthcare.com. Just Healthcare Daily is an independent production of Just Healthcare. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and 
potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.